Take a seat. Good morning. Good morning. We will be a little slow. I'm assuming you don't know it's morning. Good morning. Good morning. There you go. That's good stuff. You know, it's really funny. Um, you, uh, you, I just got to tell you, I love these old hymns. Um, it's just really good stuff. There's, I mean, the, the new stuff is great. Contemporary is great. Uh, my grandkids like the newer stuff, and that, that's okay. But those old guys that were born in the 1700s, we like the old stuff still. Yeah, you got it, Doug. Kids Rock, which is our children's ministry here, Today, following this very service, is going to have lunch and a meeting. This is for current volunteers. This is for future volunteers. No, I'm just kind of looking around to see who says, oh yeah, I got to get into that. Those sticky midgets, they're pretty fun to hang out with. No, they really do, and I can't encourage you guys enough. Um, I help in there a bit, and I tell you, we all got to admit some of our best friends were kids once, and these children, they they need us. They need grandparents. They need uncles and aunts, and uh, life is getting weirder for each generation, and uh, I'll tell you, there's nothing like just being loved by uh, another adult. Your grandparents are paid to do it. Your parents are supposed to do it. But to have somebody that really cares about you outside um, your nucleus family is just good stuff. So just something to consider. Ladies' cooking class, Monday night. That's tomorrow night. There you go. (laughs) Well, some of us guys put together a, a format. Becca, wondering if you need taste testers. No. 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 Good. Good. Yeah, we're all gathering at Gary's to watch the John Wick series. <laughs> no youth group Wednesday. Pastor's kind of filling in on that himself. And, of course, uh, he had uh, one of his four sons 
uh, got married this weekend, and he's got hinky relatives. Isn't that what I just said? Oh, gotcha. Did you hear that? Julie said in the bulletin it says there is youth group. Because Pastor Shane is filling in. Yes. Pastor Shane is filling in uh, in youth ministries. Another opportunity to volunteer or participate in. But his, uh, his number three son got married yesterday. And he has got hinky relatives from Wisconsin to Battleground, Washington. He's carpooling everybody everywhere. And it's the very reason why we get a real treat today. And Gary's going to give us a message. No youth group. Hey, Gary, you got one fan. <laughs> Locked the door. Okay. Very good. Now, this is something we really want to focus on. We have an elders retreat coming up. Yeah. But my focus is, uh, you know, and I kind of make fun of it, but, you know, pastors and garbage men only work one day a week. They've got a breeze of a job. Um, elders are lay pastors. And most of them are working outside of what we do here. And I, 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 I'm just trying to share facts with us. Uh, Cindy and I are retired full-time ministry people. And your phone can ring any time, day or night. Uh, people need help. And um, if you're really good as an elder, whether you're a paid pastor or lay pastor, you carry those weights. And so it's important for us, while our elders are gathered, to pray for our elders that they lead well. First Timothy chapter 2 says leaders that they may lead well. These are our leaders, and it's really important. I mean, if you're really getting into it, I encourage you, fast and pray for our guys. They've got a lot on their plate, and there's a lot going on in the United States and around the world, and uh, they, they want to honor God, and they want to teach biblical truth. That's so important, so pray for those guys. Family prayer, September 28th. Come and join us for family prayer. And then we have a ladies' fall soup Social coming up in October. There's information out there. And ladies, if you go out there, they'll fill you in on what's going on. And uh, they're kind of like drug dealers. They give you candy if you go up there. And so they'll rope you into signing up for that get-together. Real quickly, I just, just a word of encouragement. Um, it says, uh, I'm, I'm in 1 Corinthians 13, and this is this chapter, a lot of people use it in, re in marriages. This is written to the church. This is written to the church. It says, if I give everything I owe to the poor, even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for ourselves. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> doesn't rival when others grovel takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. And I'll tell you, I feel the older I get, we're all, the people in this room, the odds are we're going to spend eternity together. So right there lays it out, and uh, 
If we're not doing it, let's start practicing today. You want to stand with us as we continue singing?
thank you that we can all stand together and just sing, holy, holy, holy are you. Thank you that we can gather. Amen. Now I'll take a seat and kids are dismissed. You can follow your teachers to your classes. Am I on? Almost forgot this. You guys got off. We're about to get off lucky. Good morning. Yeah, I always like to start off um, whenever I get to do this um, with the words of uh, David in Psalm nineteen fourteen, he prayed, "Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer." Amen. So the last time I had um, the privilege of of speaking to you guys, and and I do count it a privilege. Um, you know, uh, Don made it sound like a lot of work, and I suppose there is some work to it, but. Um, it's a privilege to get to be able to uh, get into the Word and uh, and bring it to you and hopefully um, get out of the way and let God give the message that He wants given. So anyway, the last time uh, that I spoke, we talked about God's message to the kingdom of Judah, delivered through the prophet Jeremiah. Of course, that's what the whole whole chapter is, right? Chapter of Jeremiah. Uh, but we we looked at what He said regarding false prophets. Uh, in chapter 14, back then, we saw Jeremiah actually trying to defend the people before God because he knew God was mad. God was, was really um, putting a message through Jeremiah to the people that said, you know, you've been warned, um, told you what was going to happen, you haven't listened, so here it comes. That's, that's in a nutshell, that's the book of Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah is trying to defend his people. I mean, these are his people. These are the, the people he grew up with. This is his family. And uh, he tried to, to defend them a little bit. In 14, verse 11, God told Jeremiah not to even pray for the welfare of his people because he wouldn't hear their cry. He wouldn't listen. Jeremiah answered him in verse 13 and said, well, the prophets were responsible because they were misleading the people. They were telling them God would give them peace, not sword, not famine. And so we came to God's condemnation of the prophets, starting in, in uh, chapter 14, verse 14. The Lord said to me, this is Jeremiah speaking, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land, by sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed, and the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem. Victims of famine and sword with none to bury them, them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, for I will pour out their evil upon them. So you catch that? God is not just saying the prophets are bad. He's saying the people that listen to them are responsible as well. We talked about how God blames the people listening. And he expects us to be able to discern false prophecy when we hear it. We talked about our most powerful weapon against that. Remember what it was? Anybody? Scripture. The Word of God. You should test all teachings against what is written in the Bible. 
If it doesn't agree, don't listen to it. Always go with the Bible. We also looked at what kind of test we can use to decide if a doctrine or a principle being set forth by a teacher or a pastor is true in accordance with Scripture. First off, where did the doctrine come from? Sound doctrine originates with God. False doctrine originates with someone or something created by God. In the case of Judah's uh, false prophets, God told Jeremiah, I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own mind. The doctrine didn't come from God. Sound doctrine is consistent with the whole of Scripture. False doctrine is inconsistent with at least some parts of Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. What the Bible teaches in one place, it will not refute in another. So in the Pentateuch, which the people of Jeremiah's day had, that was their Scripture, the first five books of the Old Testament, God told the people, to measure a prophet's authority by whether or not what they said actually came to pass. And that wasn't happening. Sound doctrine has value for godly living. False doctrine leads to ungodly living. The prophets that Judah was listening to were encouraging them to keep living the way they were, which is what got them in trouble in the first place, right? Because they said God would not send the judgment that Jeremiah was warning them about. And then we discussed how you should not just accept what you hear from a preacher or pastor or Bible teacher as true without looking into God's Word first. Uh, In the book of Acts, Luke talks about how Paul was impressed with the Bereans because that's what they did. They would listen to Paul preach And then they would go back home at night and read the scriptures to see if what he said lined up. So no matter who's talking, and that includes me or Shane or Alan or anybody else that's preaching in this church, don't just accept it unless it lines up with God's word. Well, so I guess that wraps up today's sermon, huh? (laughs) Yeah, you should be so lucky. Um, Now, today we're going to look at how Jeremiah dealt directly with a false prophet. But before we do that, um, move on to today's chapters, I just wanted to do a quick historical review and and kind of set the stage for where they're, they're at right now. They had a whole bunch of kings who led the people to do evil in God's sight from the time of um, coming into the, um, the promised land until where we're at right now in scripture. Um, there's a king named Josiah that assumed the throne in Judah at the age of eight. And he was sort of like a breath of fresh air. He was a good king. And during his reign, the scroll containing God's law was discovered by Hilkiah in the temple. And that, Hilkiah was Jeremiah's father. When it was read, they, they opened this scripture and they read what God was, was saying in the law Josiah repented for the people before God, and he, he instituted a lot of reforms. He tried to get things back on track. He, he broke down a lot of the uh, places where the people were, were uh, worshiping false idols, and they, uh, a lot of things that he did, and we could do a whole sermon on that. But most of the people, though, didn't turn their hearts to God. Their king did, and he tried to set them on the right path. And it was during Josiah's reign that Jeremiah got the call from God to prophesy to his people in Judah. But Josiah, as good as he was, he was still human. He still had a prideful heart. And despite being told by God that he should not go to battle with Egypt, he went to battle with Egypt and got himself killed. He was killed after he had reigned in Judah for 31 years. And his son Jehoahaz took his place as king. And I'll tell you a little bit of a spoiler here. Josiah's last good king in all this. Um, 
So Jehoahaz is on the, on the throne now. And Egypt, remember, they defeated Josiah in battle and killed him. That's how the, this new king, king came to be. Um, so after three months of Jehoahaz, Necho, who was the pharaoh in Egypt, uh, deposed him, got rid of him, and installed his brother Eliakim, changed his name to Jehoiakim. I emphasize the M there because there's, there's names that are, are really similar. Um, and Jeho- Jehoahaz, in the meantime, was carried off to Egypt, and he died there. Jehoiakim was the king of Judah for 11 years. And he started out as a vassal of Egypt. I mean, they had who put him on the throne, right? In the fourth year of his reign, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, the Babylonians came along and conquered Egypt, and they began ruling over Judah because they took over what Egypt had. Babylon besieged Judah and took some of its best and brightest people into captivity including the prophet Daniel. So if you want to read uh, another good read, that's, uh, that's how Daniel ended up in, in Babylon. He was one of the first captives taken. He was a very young man at the time. It was about 605 B.C. Now, a few years later, Jehoiakim rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, so the Babylonians came down to Judah again. They weren't going to put up with his nonsense. As near as I can tell from reading uh, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, they took Jehoiakim into uh, captivity, along with some of the vessels, the the cups and chalices that were used for worship in the temple. These would have been made of gold. They would have been valuable. Jehoiachin, who was the son of Jehoiakim, (laughs) he took the throne, but he only lasted three months. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, sent and had Jehoiachin brought into captivity in Babylon. Now, 2 Kings 24 says that Jehoiachin at least was smart enough to give himself up. He didn't uh, take it on himself to try to battle against uh, this guy that was in power. And so the Babylonians, it says, also took all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and the smiths, none remained except the poorest people of the land. How they describe it in the, in the Bible. And the king of Babylon put Jehoiachin's uncle, who was Zedekiah, he was Jehoiakim, his brother, so Jehoiachin's uncle. And this happened in about 597 B.C. So just kind of look at what's happened up to this point. We start in the days of Josiah, who was the reformer. Jeremiah starts telling the people that God's going to deliver them into captivity because of all their sins if they don't turn back to him. By the time Zedekiah takes the throne, Judah has seen Babylon conquer them three times and two kings removed. You'd think they'd get the message, wouldn't you? When Jehoiachin is removed by Babylon, they also took officials, men of valor and craftsmen. So think about that. You got officials, people that know how to administrate, people in government know how to run things, right? Men of valor, soldiers, military men, people that uh, can wield weapons and craftsmen. Okay, who makes the weapons? You know, who's going to take the, the iron and make swords? Or uh, So they took all those people. They pretty well gutted Judah's ability to very effectively resist, right? They took everybody that could, could be any threat to them, took them back to Babylon. So this is where we're at as we head into Jeremiah chapters 27 and 28. The year's about 594 B.C., about 15 years after the death of Josiah. So let's start. It says, In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
And you'll see in chapter 28 at the, when it starts that, it says in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, but it's in about the fourth year. Thus the Lord said to me, make yourselves straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon, by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. So these guys are in Jerusalem at the time. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whom it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. So notice God is referring here to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. That's not meant to imply that Nebuchadnezzar is a good guy or that he has any um, following of God or that he worships him. It just means that he is being used as a tool by God to accomplish God's purpose. Um, so I had a map I wanted to look at. Are those? So uh, there were a couple more before that, weren't there? Yeah. So that's the first map. This is what um, this is what the kingdom of Israel. If you look at both the blue and the yellow part, that would have been when they first got there. Jerusalem is down there where the star is in the um, upper part of the yellow piece. And then after the um, the splitting of the kingdom in the days of uh, Solomon's son, you had the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Go ahead, please. Uh, there's another, there, that one. So if you look at the purple arrows, when the north kingdom got taken to Assyria, that shows where they went. The orange arrows um, are showing the route from Babylon to Israel that uh, Nebuchadnezzar would have used. That's, you notice they don't come in a straight line. They go up and around because all that area in between is desert and they can't, um, they can't get people through there. Okay, so next, please. All right, so this is the Babylonian Empire as it would have existed in the days that we're talking about right now. They took over everything. So Egypt, Jerusalem, um, the, the kingdoms that Jeremiah is sending word to are just on the other side of uh, the Sea of Galilee from Jerusalem, and then Tyre and said, Sidon or on the coast up near Damascus. So he's basically telling them that I'm giving all this land for the king of Nebuchadnezzar, king Nebuchadnezzar um, to, to punish. Okay, so we keep reading in 27. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. So this yoke that he had Jeremiah put on, this is to symbolize the yoke of the king of Babylon. I will punish that nation with a sword, with famine and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not, say to your pro do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed far from your land, and I will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. So this message has been delivered to the kings of other nations up to this point, right? He's telling them, look, if you, this is what I'm doing. This is my instrument that's coming. If you will submit, I'll make this a little less difficult for you. I'll let you stay in your own land. I'll let you work in submission to King Nebuchadnezzar. But if you resist him, then disaster is going to come before you. I'll, take, I'll um, 
take everything away. So now he turns directly to Zedekiah, the king of Judah. He says, Then I spoke to the priests and all this people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for it's a lie that they are prophesying to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city become a desolation? If they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, then let them intercede with the Lord of hosts, that the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord in the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem may not be go, go to Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, the sea, the stands, and the rest of the vessels that are left in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take away when he took into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, uh, Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and in Jerusalem, they shall be carried to Babylon and remain there until the day when I visit them, declares the Lord. Then I will bring them back and restore them to this, uh, to this place. So God's message to the people of Judah at this point is pretty clear. Judah and the surrounding countries. Nebuchadnezzar is being used by God to inflict discipline on his disobedient people. He is God's instrument. So God tells the people that they must submit to him and bear his yoke if they want to live. If they, if they resist Nebuchadnezzar, they are resisting God's purpose. And he also tells them that at the end of the appointed time of punishment, he will bring them back and restore them to this place. So before we um, move to chapter 28, let's look at God's timeline as given to Jeremiah, because I think it's, interest, it's, it's, it's relevant to when we get to the next chapter. In, um, in verses 6 and 7 that we just read, the Lord said, Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Um, and he says, All the nations shall, shall serve him and his son and his grandson. So we're talking three generations of kings in Babylon that they are going to have to serve. That's not just a couple weeks, right? Until the time of his own land comes, then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. If you go back to chapter 25, in verses 11-12, still in, in Jeremiah, God has this to say. He said, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 70 years, three generations of kings, that kind of lines up, right? It's pretty, pretty reasonable. It says, then after the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So it's pretty obvious at this point that God's intent is for the punishment of God's people and their, um, their judgment is going to last a while. In the same way that a yoke places an ox into um, to bondage, the Judites were to submit to Nebuchadnezzar's yoke. That's what, what Jeremiah is wearing in front of him. Judah was supposed to serve, not resist. And the Lord promised to preserve those Judites who did just that and safeguard the lives and fortunes of all who surrendered to Babylon. Now, that's what God's servant, the prophet Jeremiah, had to say. How do you think that went over? Now, he's standing in the king's court. And he's telling him what's going to happen and what's supposed to happen. Now, do you think he has some credibility to say this? They've already been sacked by Babylon three times. And they've learned that they really don't have a lot of strength against them. The last time they took, off, took away all the people that might have helped them um, to do something about it. So, you know, it's, but they still, they don't like it. They don't like hearing this. Jeremiah's message is not a popular one at all. So let's move on to chapter 28. Hananiah, the false prophet. In that same year, 
at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year. So this is the same time period. Hananiah might have been waiting in the wings to come in right after Jeremiah. I, I don't know for sure. Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me, Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiachin, Je Jeconiah is another name for, for him, uh, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, that doesn't line up very well with what Jer Jeremiah was saying, does it? Wow. So, I, the guy's got a lot of guts, not much on brains, but uh, pretty, pretty brave. He's standing in the temple, the Lord's house, in the presence of Jeremiah, the Lord's prophet, who has already repeatedly proven his credibility, and he directly contradicts the message conveyed to the people by Jeremiah. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want that job. I wouldn't want to go in there and, and uh, tell the priests and the king and the people, especially with Jeremiah standing there, that nah, don't listen to this guy. So why do it? Well, he's saying what the king and the people want to hear. He wants to be popular. And in a way, um, from what I read, he was sort of taking a calculated risk because at the time, the Babylonians were busy with Egypt. Egypt had risen back up and rebelled against them, so the armies of Babylon, they're over in Egypt putting down the, the rebellion. Maybe, maybe he's hoping that Egypt will win out and uh, Nebuchadnezzar won't end up coming back. Anyway, he probably figured they didn't have, the Babylonians didn't have time to worry about Judah. For whatever reason, he was pre presenting a message of false hope. And those who, would, who listened to him were, in effect, rejecting God's word because they were listening to Hananiah. So how does Jeremiah respond to this? Remember, he's standing right there. This is not being done in secret. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah, the prophet. And it's interesting. Um, maybe, he, maybe Hananiah held the office of prophet. I don't know. But Jeremiah refers to him as a prophet. Not a, not a good one, not an accurate one. But um, anyway... Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah the prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the, vast, the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the words of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. So Jeremiah doesn't waste a whole lot of time trying to prove Hananiah wrong. He doesn't engage in, in a debate with him. Um, he's not arguing, say, about, you know, I'm the better prophet than you are, or I have God's ear, you don't. He's not interested in all that. He's not trying to pump himself up or gain status with the people. In fact, he says he hopes Hananiah is right. He'd love to see the exiles brought back and the power of Babylon taken away. But notice how he evaluates Hananiah's credibility. First, he goes to the scripture of his day which is the writings of the prophets before him, uh, including Moses and the Pentateuch. He points out that the prophets sent by God have not typically been sent to predict peace. If the people are doing well and they're doing what God wants them to and he's going to make everything golden, he doesn't send a prophet to tell them that. 
He sends prophets to warn them against what they're doing. Usually to try to get the people to obey God's commands and worship only him. Hananiah's message then is not in continuity with those early prophets who preached the whole counsel of the Lord. Therefore, it was to be rejected, according to Jeremiah. And likewise, that's how we should evaluate the teachings of those who claim to know God's will. They should evaluate it against his word given to us in the Bible. And if they don't agree, send them on their way. You go with the Bible. Secondly, Jeremiah pointed out that the proof is in the pudding, right? He said, if a prophet claims to have a prediction from God, peace, and that prediction does not happen, then that prophet is not hearing from God. So he just lays it right out there. And in Deuteronomy, going back to that scripture that they have, um, there are a couple of verses in Deuteronomy, and um, I didn't write the chapter down. <laughs> We've got the verses, but um, he says, If you say in your heart, how, we may, how may we know that the Lord has spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you need not be afraid of him. That applies to Hananiah in this case, right? Now, Hananiah doesn't listen to Jeremiah's rebuke. In fact, he tries to strengthen his own position. It says, Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. Gives that specific timeline. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Jeremiah doesn't feel any need to engage Hananiah in any further discussion. He went on his way. I think that message here is twofold. First, Jeremiah is showing his contempt for Hananiah by refusing to even acknowledge him any further. He is also, by disengaging and walking away, he takes away Hananiah's podium, if you will. He, he takes away his um, status to, to keep talking. False prophets and teachers typically love to hear themselves talk, and they want to be recognized as important people. Jeremiah, he's basically just saying, meh walking away. You're not important. You're not, not worthy of my uh, further comment. Some, starting again in verse 12, sometime after the prophet, Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, go, tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of God, hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. And the last verse says, In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. A little outline I saw, one of the, uh, one of the authors said, He lied and died. Willful disobedience and rebellion against God has consequences, doesn't it? It wasn't bad enough that Hananiah felt self-important and he wanted to publicly challenge God's true prophet and make himself out to be a big shot. He also refused to listen to Jeremiah's response and he influenced the people who believed his message to disobey God. That's one I take to heart. If I get up here, or Shane, or anybody, if we get up here and give you a message that we know to be false, 
and then you follow it. Who's responsible for that? I am. That's, I, I just can't imagine him, uh, that Hananiah doing that. He was therefore responsible for the rejection of God's message to submit to Nebuchadnezzar and avoid violent death. And notice, I don't know if you caught all the timeline here, how quickly this happened. A lot of times when God says, I'm going to do something, it happens, it, but it might take a long time. Remember that um, it said that in the beginning of Zedekiah's reign, this is the beginning of chapter eight, uh, 28, what month was it? In the fifth month, of the fourth year of Zedekiah's reign is when um, Hananiah gave his prophecy, okay? In the fifth month. I'm sorry, I lost my spot here. The last verse says, in that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. So five, six, seven, three months, maybe? And it doesn't say, um, in, in verse 12, it says, sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars is when the word came back to Jeremiah to go. We're not sure how long that was. So we don't know how much of those three months had passed before Jeremiah went back and told Hananiah he was going to die. But it didn't take very long after that prophecy to, uh, to Hananiah for Hananiah to, to be gone. God didn't waste any time on that one at all. Sometimes it feels like God lets people get away with murder for a long time, and we long to see justice done. Psalm 94, that's, uh, that's what the psalmist is saying. He says, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. How, O Lord, how long shall the wicked how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless, and they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. He perceives. I encourage you to read the rest of the psalm. Um, we can be discouraged by evil all around us. But the very last verse of this psalm is our reassurance. Re reassurance. In verse 23, it says, He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. God will not tolerate evil forever. And in the case of Hananiah, his justice was pretty swift. Jeremiah's initial prophecy to the nations happened in the fourth year of Zedekiah's rule. We just looked at all this in the fifth year. Um, so the total time between the false message and his death was only about three months. It's important for us as Christians today in a world that is increasingly evil that we not respond to the world in a worldly way. First, we should always use God's word, Scripture, as a guide. We should be in prayer, and specifically, we should pray for the Holy Spirit to provide us with his counsel and his wisdom as we defend our faith and counter the message that comes from today's culture. We should also remember, we must remember, that we are saved by grace, by a free gift of salvation paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And our job is to encourage others to accept that gift as well. Paul says in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Okay, let's let's pray.
Father, we, uh, we come to you and we thank you so much for your word, for um, the wisdom and the uh, encouragement that we find there. Uh, we pray, Lord, for the leadership of our country today. Sometimes it feels like we are uh, among the Judahites, Lord, and uh, we pray that, uh, that people will begin to listen. We pray for wisdom uh, for ourselves to hear you speak through your word as we engage your word and as we study your word. And Lord, we pray for grace to forgive each other and to engage others in a way that glorifies you and helps make disciples for Jesus. We ask all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to stand with us? You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Have a good week, whichever which direction you're going. We've got Kids Rock meeting, don't forget, and they're feeding you. So you should volunteer for Kids Rock.